give me just one second here, and we should be ready to go. Okay. You know what? I'm hitting our opening track, and it's not happy. <laughs> so uh, I think we're just going to start. We Let's are recording. So, uh, hey, uh, Iron Radio listeners, Charles Staley here from StaleyTraining.com. Uh, I am author of Muscle Logic. I am the creator of the Escalating Density Training Method, and I'm also a competitive uh, master's level weightlifter. And uh, here for his second uh, visit is uh, Mario Mavridis. And uh, Mario, thanks for coming back. My absolute pleasure. I, I look forward to these opportunities to chat with you, Charles. Yeah, we, we brought you back because you're uh, a fun guy to talk to and you've uh, got a lot to say about a lot of subjects. And uh, so um, that's cool. And for, for anyone who might have missed you the first time, Mario's a professional performance enhancement coach. And uh, we like Mario a lot because he spent a lot of time uh, doing some critical examination of all of these uh, long-held beliefs that we all have that, that, that never die. Like you can't put your knees over your toes. Yeah. And, uh, uh, let's see, low, low, uh, low reps are for bulk and high reps yeah. are for tone. How's that for uh, starters? Um, there are a few other comes to mind, but, uh, but Mario's not afraid of challenging all the dogma out there uh, concerning uh, body composition and uh, sport conditioning. That's exactly and, uh, it, yeah. Mario's uh, opinions are, are not without uh, validity. He's had formal and informal training in uh, topics such as neurobiomechanics, uh, uh, physiology, and theoretical physics, of all things. And we want to tell everybody about Mario's uh, uh, tra training center, which is the uh, Persicini Fitness Center in uh, Newmarket, Ontario. And I want to give out that website, which is www.persichini fitness.ca for Canada. Yep. And uh, Mario oversees about 25 personal trainers and nutritionists and fitness consultants in that facility. And uh, it's, uh, am I right to say, it's the oldest uh, private facility in, in York, right? Yep, the oldest and, and largest. We just celebrated our 34th anniversary this past September, and, uh, and we're about 35 to 40,000 square feet, depending what you consider. Wow, uh, wow. And, and uh, yeah, so it's it's a it's a really great facility. We just actually went through a rather uh, another substantial upgrade of the facility with new equipment, new decor, uh, and everything. So we're constantly updating. We're not um, uh, while we're certainly not a, a dungeon. Uh, we are not a uh, yes. one of these uh, little shishi foo foo clubs. Like there, there's some real iron being moved here. So oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's a great. Well, facility. I, I was going to ask. You know, I don't know. I don't know how long you've been there, but it would be interesting. If you could have a little uh, snapshot of the types of things that were going on in that gym in the first year that it opened, 34 years ago. Well, I certainly wasn't here then. But uh, and, I, and, um, and by the way, I, I mean that metaphorically. I just it's interesting <laughs> to look back at the typical things that were done in gyms and training centers 34, 35 years ago compared to now, and, and how. Um, you know, in what ways are we smarter and doing better, and in what ways are we not really doing better and we're kind of missing the ball? But it's always uh, my my training history goes back about 25 years mm -hmm. or so, so I, I can't even quite stretch back uh, to 35 years ago. But, well, uh, it's it's really it's really interesting you bring that up um, because again, being here for this long, we have I have a bit of unique kind of a cross-sectional view of the development and fitness through the years because we have a core foundation of, of members here from the original year, approximately 300 of them, as a matter of fact. Uh, these are members who have literally from year one, 1974, signed up uh, and are still here. Well, those that are still alive, we tend to lose at least one or two a month uh, to uh, atrophy. But um, uh, irrespective, uh, it's quite interesting to see um, – the, the changes, like the, the gym itself, originally started um, at a small facility uh, with just a pool. The, the mainstay was a pool, and, and kind of the in the era of the, in the style of the. I don't, I don't know if you had uh, Vic Tanny's uh, facilities down there in, in the U.S. before, kind of the old school uh, calisthenic clubs they called them, or athletic clubs they called them, where it was primarily a track, a pool, and uh, they, we had some. Uh, up until recently, actually, we had the the original uh, uh, the, the dumbbells. These are the little chrome jobs that uh, were fixed weight, 
and that was pretty much the whole gym. Um, it, it was, I think it was a three or 3,000 or 4,000 square feet at that point. And so people were forced to be rather creative uh, and kind of tap into uh, pr- primarily pr- the primary influences were those, I think, of the whole um, the military-style calisthenic training, lots of push-ups, lots of sit-ups, jumping jacks, uh, and, and running, PT as they called it. Um, and it seems to have grown from there. Now, to be frank, again, here we are 34, 35 years later, and we have people here literally doing the exact same workout they did back then. And, um, you know, it's we try to get them to kind of consider something new, but they, they do like their uh, – they like what works for them or what they've always done, and that's their comfort so, zone. They so let's, let's go into that without, without cutting you off, because uh, yeah. so, I'll lose my train of thought, but to, to what degree is that a good idea and to what degree is that a bad idea? I mean, what, let's chat a little bit about yeah. some of the uh, traditional modes of activity that uh, really are useful and that people have lost sight of these days. And, uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and let's also chat about what are some of the recent innovations, both terms of methodology and technology mm-hmm. that people should really be taking advantage of, you know? Well, I, I mean, clearly the obvious, the, the, the obvious thing to look at when you talk about technology is, is the, the, the progression of machinery, uh, the actual equipment that we use, the, 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 way that, the equipment that we can use to apply load to our bodies. And I think that's, that's where the, the most powerful and most um, innovative approaches have happened. Um, but that, well, that and also you've got the the, the cardio endurance machines, which which have you know created a whole a whole industry into themselves, um, and that's great. But if we look at what was done back then using the whole notion of calisthenics, um, I think I, I think that's that's where we have the the, the 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 biggest contribution to currently. If you can find. I mean, using body weight, using using uh, the the standard movements, the the, the you know the pushes, the sit-ups, the burpees, things like that. Yeah, there's a lot of benefits of still doing that. Um, I mean, but but I think that's only a part of of a more complete developmental process. I think that without progression, which is hard to do when using body weight movements, I think that right. you're limiting yourself. And right. and and that's the biggest challenge. I think getting people to think outside of the box of of limitation of just body weight exercise and looking at, at progression through load, for example. Um, I mean, you can progress all you want with with, um, with volume, which is good, but at some point you're going to have to push something heavier. You know, and yeah. if, you do, if you're and strictly body weight, you're getting weaker. So you know, <laughs> it doesn't you know make any pop- sense. You know what popped into my mind as you were saying that, and I don't know if you're familiar with the old, uh, completely, almost completely forgotten uh, art of hand balancing. Ah, okay. So like doing like push handstand push-ups kind of that kind of thing. Well, you know, part these are partner drill partner oh, exercises. Yeah. That you know, this was back in the probably I'm saying the 30s and 40s even. And yeah. you see this uh, people, if, if you can imagine, there's an act that these two brothers do for Cirque du Soleil, and that's, yes, yes, that's how it. you might recognize that. But uh, you know, that was an effort to uh, find a, a way to, to to add additional resistance, mm-hmm. I think, and. Uh, it's interesting to look at things like that. That was a big, big, big thing in years gone past, and now it's almost extinct. Well, there was a really popular uh, couple, married couple, that did that. Uh, yes. I seem to remember her name being Midge or something like that. I, 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 it's, I just remember seeing some black and white photos of them uh, doing some really crazy stuff on, on a yep. Venice Beach or something like that, or Muscle Beach, as the case may be. Uh, yeah, I don't remember the names, but I do recall. And, and again, uh, th- those early adopters, those early pioneers of, of um, the physical culture, recognize that you, you need to progress. And and okay, well, let's pick something heavy. Well, you know, you're kind of heavy, wife. Let's put you over my head and see what you know. And and I can see that being the thought process. Um, and then, of course, logic dictates a, a, a traditional progression from there. Of okay, well, wife, you weigh 100, 105 pounds. Uh, I'm strong enough to lift you multiple times. Let's find someone bigger and bigger, and ultimately, well, you know, you can't find 250, can't find too many 250-pound behemoths you're willing to put over, to be yeah, thrown yeah. over your head routinely. So, that's the advent of the barbell, I suppose. You know, what's interesting, you know, what's interesting about that too, Mario, is um, you know, with the advent of so-called core stabilization mm-hmm. training and and the whole concept of doing things on unstable surfaces and, and the interest in all of that. And the hand balancing was really a, a great example of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're lifting something that is inherently unstable yep. and uh, 
uncooperative, if you could use that word. And, uh, that's, a, yeah, that's a really good word, actually. I think that fits yeah, really well. Yeah, you know what I mean? It's, it, it's very much like strongman training today. I, I think that the value of strongman events is that when you're trying to load stones and, and uh, kegs and these big strongman logs and all of that, those implements kind of don't want to be lifted. They're not cooperative. They're not easy. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no easy way to grip them. There's no easy way to clean them. There's no easy way to get them overhead. So, um, in a way, it almost reminds me, uh, you know, physiologically of, of the old hand balancing stuff. Well, we have. Uh, I remember looking at old photos of legendary Canadian strongman Louis Sear up here, and uh, where yes, he would yes. he would. Pardon me. You familiar with him? No, I'm totally familiar. Yeah. Oh yeah, and uh, you know, I remember watching photos of him pick up. Um, uh, platforms of of people standing on it, you know, yeah. and he'd get underneath yeah. and he'd do what's called a back press, and he'd you know he'd push up and and I can see that being talk about unstable surface. I mean, whilst the surface that he's pushing off of itself is is inherently stable, the the apparatus he's pushing against right. by virtue of pushing against a human body that's multi-segmented and therefore multiple uh, moment arms and, and moments of inertia through through the the length is providing all kinds of funky balancing points and thereby making it really challenging, um, which kind of yeah. segues into the whole notion of, of unstable surface training. And to me, where I would see the benefit coming from uh, lifting an unstable object as opposed to pressing off of an unstable platform, being inherently more advantageous and more um, beneficial to a lifter. Yep. But that's, that's yep. I mean, that's another discussion. We can That's for next time. How's that? That's for next time. <laughs> well, for this time, and we do have kind of a formal topic coming up yep. in a few minutes, but I know that you wanted to chat a little bit about the personal training industry. Yes. And specifically, I know you wrote an article recently, and, and I forgot uh, who you wrote that article for I, in terms of, uh, uh, you know, how to select a, a good trainer. Yeah, I wrote the article for. Well, uh, it was. Uh, I, I'm a. I write for a sub, Canadian supplement company called NX Labs, uh, nxlabs.com. So NX and literally labs.com. Um, I write for them, but this article I submitted to a, a local Canadian uh, fitness magazine called Inside Fitness. Um, the idea here, and and kind of tying into what we talked about at the very beginning about what's been changing in the fitness industry, is the whole kind of acceptance and adoption of personal training as a as an, a, a a viable uh, modality for personal development. Uh, so I kind of in in my in my business in my position I I get resumes and applicants every day for for new trainers and I find that. It's really tough to find good people uh, because of all the different uh, sanctioning bodies that exist and certifying bodies that exist, each with their own kind of modus operandi and 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 their own um, uh, standards. Uh, it's really difficult to find a good trainer by virtue of looking at a resume. So I try to meet with everybody that submits a resume, which you can imagine is tough when you get literally dozens of resumes a week. But I figure I owe it to every individual who's willing to take the time to do it. Um, but it's really tough. So what I ended up doing was I'm, I'm thinking if it's so tough for me as a trained fitness professional, how difficult must it be for the average layperson to choose a good trainer? Very good point. You know, and so that's why I figured I'd write down an article and, and, and talk about a few of the things that are that I consider really important that may not be considered um, important by yeah. somebody who just wants to get I'll tell you what, moving. before you go there, let me yeah. just render a guess at what I – how I think the average person qualifies a personal trainer or a perspective trainer, which is basically just like how they're built, like what they look like. Yep, and, and that's it. Uh, wouldn't, wouldn't you say if, if you look at 15 trainers in a gym, mm-hmm. would you say uh, all else being equal, the one with the best body pretty much has the most clients? Um, it's funny. You know, <laughs> I, I, mean, I'm, I look at my, my group uh, here, and like I said, I've got, I've got about 20, I think I have 22 active trainers right now working full-time here. And it, not necessarily. Actually, my my busiest trainer, my I'll, most I'll successful. I'll be glad if I'm wrong, by the way. Pardon me? I'll be glad if I'm wrong. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I can tell you this. My my most successful trainer, actually, um, she just went away on mat leave for the second time <laughs> in the past couple of years. And, you know, it, it depends. How do you think of, you know, how, how do you feel about eight months pregnant women? And, uh, yeah. and <laughs> you know, yeah. it's that was her thing. She was the most successful by virtue of, providing the best service to her clientele. Sure. Um, now, 
the, to be fair though, our system of of applying uh, of getting clients for our trainers is a little different. I don't expect my my trainers to go out and necessarily get their own business. We provide it for them by virtue of um, uh, what we call a health center system and a, a pre qualifying process of uh, identifying people to, that we're going to work with trainers. So we assign a trainer to a client. They don't, the client doesn't necessarily choose a trainer. But that said, I do have people coming to see me off the floor saying, hey, I want to work with you know, this trainer because he has the right. body I want or I want that trainer because she has the body I want. So certainly right. I always tell people as, uh, as trainers, you know, live, live the life, like lead by example. If, if you want trainers, have a good physique. Uh, sorry, if you want clients, have a good physique because yeah. that's your yeah. billboard. Yeah. But you've got to be a lot more than that. Um, you know, because it's the same idea with with the, the genius of the prodigy making a terrible teacher. Because it comes naturally to them, they may not be the ideal person to go to to learn a technique, to learn a, 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 some kind of system. Because to them, they didn't have to go step by step. They automatically made that intuitive leap to success. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's quite difficult. That's yeah. why I say, give me someone um, who really had to work at it. Fully agree. I think um, my colleague uh, Mark Lipito. Mm-hmm. has written that the best coaches are people who were moderately successful athletes. Yep. And um, and it's an interesting way to qualify it because um, I, I think it's important that, that you've been through the process, that you've lived the lifestyle, you, you have the ability, you know, that ability to uh, emphasize. Um, but, you know, like you say, people who are savants uh, in any subject, you know, have not had to kind of struggle and, and, and figure it out the hard way. And so uh, I, there, there is a kernel of truth in, in those who can't do coach. I mean, there's <laughs> yes. definitely a, a kernel of truth in that. And uh, I, I, always, uh, I always back that up with the example of uh, that writing comes very natural to me, and I've been very successful at it, but I, I don't think I'd be a very good teacher mm-hmm. because uh, I just – you know, it, it's just something that's kind of organic and visceral for me. It's not something that I've struggled with. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, I, I totally understand. I actually, I actually believe I'm the opposite. I think I'm a much better uh, teacher. Put me in front of a class, in front of a, a group of people, and and I'm, I'm usually pretty good at getting an idea across and certainly bridging the gap um, as opposed to writing it. I, I find I'm quite clumsy when it comes to writing because my brain works a lot faster than my hands. Uh, yeah, you have so. to find your optimal uh, exactly. medium. Yeah. But so let's get into your article a little bit. Let's so, do it. Sure. So what, what kind of points were you making in, in the article in terms of uh, selecting a, a trainer or a coach? What? How did you kind of sure. uh, go through well, that? Well, the, the the first thing is always is is you need to find a professional trainer. And and what I say to people is that again, when I get kids coming in, or, or not necessarily kids, uh, people coming in looking for a job. Uh, here or, or looking to be a trainer, I always ask them, do you want to be a trainer or do you want to be a fitness professional? And, of course, the question is, well, what does that mean? And I say, well, being a trainer is easy. You go, you get a weekend course, you, you fulfill, whatever, 30 hours, 25 hours of a course, you write a 20-question a, a uh, uh, test, and bang, you're a certified personal trainer, and you save $40, $50 a year on uh, liability insurance, which is really the only difference up here in Canada, at least. Um, and that's great, and you have a job, and you'll be, you go make a job earning an hourly wage at any of, the, of the, the popular chain gyms up here. Fantastic. But if you want to be a fitness professional, it takes a lot more. You really have to invest, and you have to invest time, effort, money in learning about the body and learning about techniques and learning about what you can try and what you can't try. Uh, and essentially, it's, it's not just a job. It's not a job you're going to do before you become a police officer or a firefighter or an actor or, or a teacher or whatever that is. This is a job that you're going to do because you want a career. So that's the first step. So when you're going to choose a trainer as, as a layperson coming off the street, find out what the person that you're working with, are they a trainer until they become something else, or are they, is this a career? Is this what they're doing? And notice it doesn't necessarily have to do with education, but rather intent. So just because somebody exactly. went to university and got a kinesiology degree doesn't mean they're, they're, that this is what they do for career because they could very well be hoping or, or, or in the process of becoming a teacher, in which case you can imagine their focus is not going to be on learning the latest and greatest tra- training techniques, but rather pedagogy techniques you know, or, or, or getting into teacher's college or whatever the case may be. So that's, that's a great why point because um, so, so many trainers that you see out there are, are not trainers because – they're compelled to do it. 
Indeed. It's because they are repelled by doing other things. Yeah. And there's yes. a big difference between those two mindsets. And that's exactly it. So that's your first question. Identify the intent and mindset of the person who's sitting in front of you trying to get you to, to spend your hard-earned money and time on, uh, on training with them. So that's the very first step. Identify if they're a professional trainer. Okay? Um, sure. So here's how I kind of say to do that. That's your first step. Ask if it's a career. Second, you really want to, in your time of talking to the trainer, you want to identify what his or her vision for your development is. Because it's quite surprising, really, to know just how many trainers don't actually ask what you're trying to accomplish, as their goal as a trainer is simply to get you moving and paying, of course. So ask the trainer for specific plans and principles to be used in your progression. Ask if they intend to progress you. You know, what is progression? Uh, if the trainer is vague or unwilling to commit, or, or worse yet, ask you, and I hate this line, just trust me, move on. Yeah. That's not a good trainer. <laughs> you know, that's, th thank you very much for your time. I'm going to go elsewhere. Uh, a true fitness professional should be willing to outline the process in which they'll put you through to accomplish the goal and, and develop it specifically in cooperation with input from both sides. So I, I liken this to a discovery phase, okay, kind of like a, 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 a legal discovery or voir dire, as they yeah, say. Yeah. Um, you should be wary of, 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 of people who use cookie-cutter programs, okay? Uh, what's a cookie-cutter program? Well, you know, if you see your trainer has a copy of the latest Muscle and Fiction magazine and, their photo, and photocopies of, the, you know, the latest Get Huge workout in there, well, maybe this isn't the person you want to be talking to, okay? Um, Okay, that's good. So, um, sorry, someone just distracted me here. Um, oh, no, that's okay. So that's uh, so that's important to, to recognize that you know you're not a cookie cutter. You're not the same as the person who the trainer had last week and who's going to have next week. You are a unique individual with unique requirements, conditions, and and needs. So you should be treated as such. Okay, so that's that's the first step. So this kind of discovery phase is an involved process. It take a good amount of time. Uh, I would say the first full initial consultation with the physical assessment should take at least two hours. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be all at the same time, but consecutively at least two hours. So and any good trainer recognizes this and will have no problem spending the time with you if they value your business. Sure. Okay? So that's the first step. Following that, so just because your trainer performed the due diligence in the initial assessment, it doesn't mean that, that you're off the hook. Uh, assessments, be they orthopedic, postural, anthropomorphic measurements, uh, body composition, et cetera, et cetera, they need to be performed on a regular basis. Okay, so the question then becomes, well, how regular? Yeah. Okay. Well, always. And, and if I can break in, I mean, I yes, think of course. Th there are also uh, observational assessments that, that may be informal and, and uh, not obvious to the to the client so absolutely uh, you know when my new client is walking up to the front door of my facility i'm watching how they walk yep um, i'm looking for any clue that i might gain about their lifestyle or their profession or just anything i'm really kind of scanning them and uh, uh and and anytime a client is doing any type of drill whether it's a, a stretch or a a warm-up or something with a bar, dumbbells, I'm just looking for how they move. So I, I can say at least in my case, probably 95% of assessments uh, go on uh, without the clients really noticing that it's, that it's happening. So that, that's something that's worth bringing up. Absolutely, and, that's, and that comes with experience. I mean, you know, when you're in the game for a while, you, you start to see patterns of behavior, patterns of, you know, gait patterns, things like that, that, that throw up red flags. And while it may not tell you exactly what's going on, at least you recognize, hey, there's something funny here, and I should look into this further. Yes. In, in, in medical school, they call it a, a doorway diagnosis, where you walk oh, into the doorway and you see the person sitting there, and just from the body language, you can kind of sense, okay, what is this person about? And, and you know, some of that analysis is, is very much below the conscious level. I uh, remember when I was a martial arts teacher, mm -hmm. um, flexibility and mobility is a big part of that whole game. And I would have a new or a prospective new student walk through the door, and within five seconds I could tell you how flexible they were. Mm -hmm. and, and I couldn't tell you why, but it's just these unconscious associations you make. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think that happens too when you're experienced uh, as, a, as a trainer. Absolutely. You, you can get a sense of, of the mobility of an individual, just how they stand, how they sit, how they walk. 
again, that's not to say that it's it's infallible because certainly that's I've right. been surprised. Uh, you know, I say, wow, that's a lot more mobility than I expected. Or myself as an example, people look at me and automatically assume, oh, he's a 300-pound muscle-bound individual who can't do anything. But sure enough, I'm I'm quite mobile, quite flexible, if you will, uh, yeah. because I, I I work at it and I'm conscious of it. So, uh, yeah, so again, it's always, you've got to be careful about making, uh, I, I, I always uh, warn my trainers, you've got to be careful of making assumptions and rather fight, figure it out. But certainly that kind of initial diagnosis helps you perhaps make your assessment, pro- your, your assessment system afterwards a little more pointed, a little more relevant. So I yep. do like that. Yep. So moving cool. on with that, um, I think it's part of that ongoing assessment. With, with my people, my trainers here, I, I suggest that they do some kind of an assessment every workout before the workout begins. Okay? They, in fact, I instruct them not to allow their clients to touch a weight until they've answered some basic, really basic questions regarding you know, how their day's gone, how, what they've eaten, how they've eaten, how they slept. Uh, and all of this is done on top of a, of a quick five-minute settings check, which involves yeah. a couple of quick but really gentle strength, stability, mobility assessment tools designed to give, the, to give us as a trainer, uh, a trainer, sorry, a sense of what the climate client's capabilities are that particular session. Mm-hmm. Okay, because that's the other thing that's really important. Every day you walk in for your workout is different from the day, from the, from the previous workout, different from the day before. So to okay. make assumptions as to what your client is capable of simply based on their previous performance, I think is, is unethical and unprofessional. You stop, you identify what can you handle today. So like, for example, uh, Phil, the other day, hit a PR, right, uh, at, yep. at, his, at his event. So now is it safe to assume or is it appropriate to assume if I was training him, okay, well, you hit that PR then, then you got another <laughs> PR this week, right? Okay, it's, so were, were you talking to Phil about this? Uh, briefly. Well, I, I don't know if this came up in your conversation, but it's just hilarious that you bring that up because for those who, who, who aren't aware of the numbers, Phil hit an all-time personal record of uh, 725 in the deadlift mm-hmm. this past Saturday, six days ago. And what was funny is two days ago, he goes in the gym to do some pulls. Now, first of all, why? I mean, I, I can't even imagine why he would want to deadlift the bar after doing that. But after doing that, yeah. he felt compelled to go in. And he told me he worked up to a 545, and he said he almost missed it. He almost couldn't lock it out. So wow. I, I thought that was interesting in light of what you just said. There it is. I, I mean, that's exactly it, you, to make an assumption. So so clearly, you know, you've got Phil, who's, who's a strong dude, um, but I, I'm not going to take for, for granted that he's capable of it just because he did it last time or last week or whatever. Assess, identify. Our settings change every single moment. What you're capable of doing, what you're capable, what you're capable of handling and adapting to change moment to moment to moment based on innumerable variables, innumerable factors that affect us. Sure. So let's not assume and let's take it carefully. Yeah. So if, using the, the example of the, the layperson looking for a trainer, ask. What is my what nature of ongoing assessment will you be performing, on a re, and how regular a, a frequency will you be performing it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's and that should give you some indication. I like it. Do you do you by chance use or do you instruct people to use like an RPE scale? I find that I always, uh, if we're working up to a certain weight mm-hmm. in an exercise, and let's say it's the last warm-up set or the first work set, uh, one of my little habits is to say, okay, one to ten scale, how hard? Yeah, because yeah. uh, because you know I, I get a certain amount of information from their body language, which by the way I trust body language. Yeah. <laughs> generally, like I like to consider what the body tells me and what the mouth t- tells me, and then I kind of conglomerate them. And but I, I tend to I, I tend to put more stock in what the body tells me, but I, mm-hmm. I want to get it from both parties, you know. So do, do you like that idea? I, I do actually. I think that's that's exactly uh, that's a fantastic idea. Um, I mean, the RP, the rate of perceived exertion, is is great and it's useful. Um, I, 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 to be honest with you, I don't necessarily call it that. I don't, I don't give it a, a title. You know, uh, five sure. means this. I just say, how are you feeling? How did that yeah. feel? And um, and I think that because every individual is going to give you a different uh, a different relative scale. So I kind of just ask them, you know, how did that feel? How did that? What did you feel? You know, and why? And, and I, I dig. Uh, the number one question I tell my, my, my people here is always ask three letters, why? Yeah. Why, 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 why? And that gets you down to the, to the, the deep kind of underlying reasons for certain things. It's and funny. Then, I, right. I personally have this problem with saying how does it feel, but I, I'm, not, I, I'm totally with you. you know? Yeah, I it's hear you. Yeah, I get it. So, so my little thing is always talk to me. 
Okay, there it is. Talk to me. Yeah. To, hey, tell me what's going on. Like what you know, what, you know, where's, where, where's it hurt? I don't want to prejudice their response in any way, so I just say, talk to me. Okay, yeah, that's and that's I mean, that's a really good technique. I, I like that. I should adopt that. That's great. <laughs> I mean, this is it. This this is what this is about, right? Exchanging ideas, information. That's fantastic. Yeah. And and clients don't always talk to you either. You know. What's that? Clients don't always talk to. Sometimes you've got to pull it out of them. Well, I always uh, uh, do. You watch House on TV? The diagnosticians. Uh, uh, yeah, I do. Yeah, well, well, I love what he says. He says patients lie, and they do. Same with same yeah. with clients. Clients lie, so you have to get the real reasons, and the real reasons usually are not the reasons that are given, and that's where looking at the body comes into play. So the mouth may say, "Oh, I'm fine," but you're looking, and the knees are shaking, and the back is bowing, and all kinds of other things are screaming for attention. Well, hey, let's. How are you fine if this is happening? And, yeah. and and get the truth, and that's why that's the digging. That's the digging that comes from. So that's a right. that's a tough thing to do as a as a client, as a trainer. Sorry, um, sure. to really dig and make your clients feel uncomfortable. Um, sorry, make them face their discomfort with being honest with you. Sure, sure, sure. Totally different challenge. I mean, that ties into uh, selling the training on the other side. That's another discussion. Mm-hmm. So, any event. Um, so once you get an idea of what this trainer is about and that they're willing to perform assessments and what the nature of those assessments will be, well, now goes the actual, what I call, exercise selection and prescription. Because here's where you kind of separate the certified trainers from the professional trainers. Because you can teach just about any monkey how to do a basic orthopedic assessment, okay, and they can go through the motions and to the layperson, wow, this person's taking care of me. But if they don't use that information in, a, in an intelligent manner to kind of develop a prescription, an appropriate prescription of, of movement and exercise, well, then what was the point? So this is where the challenge is because, you see, most certification procedures are really, really good at creating exercise and movement protocols. Okay? Yeah. They specifically outline how a particular movement should be performed. So a bench press should look like this, uh, arms here, legs there, you know, bring it this far down to the, to the clavicle or, and right. press from here and arc it this way, and that's great. Okay, but how the heck is, is, is any instructor supposed to account for every possible physiological, neurological, or biomechanical variation from person to person when describing or prescribing a movement? You can't. So I had one trainer come to see me the other day, one of my uh, junior trainers, she just, just got into the business, just starting with me, and she was really frustrated because she couldn't get her trainer to do a lunge. Oh, sorry, get her client to do a lunge. And my question, of course, was, well, then don't do a lunge. Or my response was, well, why are you bothering with a lunge then? She goes, well, she has to do a lunge. Okay, let's assume that's true for a moment. What's the problem? Well, the lunge that she's doing doesn't look like the lunge that I think yes. it should be. It doesn't look like the way it, the way I think it should look like. Well, who the heck are you to determine what a lunge should look like? You know, I mean, that's, that, that's about, and she wasn't trying to be arrogant. She just, in her mind, she had a picture of what a lunge looked like, and this woman's lunge did not look like that picture, so therefore, ergo, it was wrong. So I spent a long time trying to kind of get her to realize that there is no right or wrong. There is no, just just because we have... There are, there are common features to good technique. Sure. Yes, um, definitely and, common and, features. And that can be applied across a range of bodies. And By the way, it's kind of why I like small group training. Okay. If, um, if I'm teaching someone how to do a power clean, uh, and I've got four people in there doing power cleans, they all look a little different, but at mm-hmm. the same time, the new client can kind of see what the common features are. And, and that's the key. Uh, there's, there's always a certain tempo to it, which is slow yep. to fast. Um, you, you have to get your shoulders out in front of the bar. The arms have to stay long to the last moment. So those mm-hmm. are some of the common features, but with that in mind, Everyone who does a power clean is going to look a little bit different. So the, the trick is being able to separate the, the common features versus the uh, idiosyncrasies. Bingo. And, I mean, Charles, that's exactly it. Um, the common features as defined by fundamental physics, absolutely. Because those things, I mean, we're all bound by the same laws in that respect. And, and, and certainly they're going to look more similar than they do different. But I always tell people a, a real trainer makes their money in those little differences. That's where you yes. earn your money in those yes. the minutia of the differences and details, yes. um, and that's it. So uh, you know, so that that's really important to kind of identify that. So 
you don't want to make a presupposition of a static participant in the exercise, meaning you, you don't want to suppose or, or presume that the person doing the exercise is the exact same person in front of you, is the exact same person who did the exercise um, with you uh, previous session with a whole different situation, a whole different, um, you know, whole, all different settings and, and, and anatomical uh, uh, limitations, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. You, you can't. You know, you, yeah. gotta be, you have to be specific, and that's why it's called personal training. You know, so unfortunately, though, this this is exactly the expectation uh, a trainer has when the instructor tells them, sorry, a trainee has when an instructor tells them how to perform a movement the right way. You know, they're they're just, but I I gotta say, there simply is no absolute right or wrong way. It all depends on who, what, when, where, and why. Yep, I agree with that. You know, and it's only fair and proper as a client, a paying client, to expect to be treated as individual with specific requirements and needs to be addressed. So what, oh, the whole point here is that you want to get away from, from trainers who simply dispense arbitrary exercises to accomplish some nebulous goal. Even if it worked for someone else in the past, it's just not acceptable. Sure. A, a good trainer will take the time to figure out what you need as a client, when you need it, and the way you need it. So you know what's right. interesting about that? If you, look at, um, if you look at personal trainers and compare them to sport coaches in sports where the, the sport coach also is in charge of strength training. And yeah. Track and field comes to mind. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, and so, but what's interesting and something that's commonly done by track and field coaches who handle um, strength training for their athletes, that's a very interesting and a good thing is if they, let's say you're working with a hammer thrower and yeah. you see a technical weakness comes up, it's not uncommon for that coach to literally invent a resistance training drill right on the spot to correct that problem. Yeah. As opposed to, and you know, and it might involve, uh, could involve elastic tubing, or it could invent, uh, it could be body weight, or with a dumbbell or a bar, or whatever. But they'll just invent a drill, uh, and you don't see too much of that in the personal training industry. No, because in the personal training industry, we're trying to make everybody fit. We're trying to fit every square peg into a round hole. As I say, it's, uh, you know, oh, we're yep. going to work the back today, so therefore we have a limited vocabulary. And no matter how many exercises, it's still limited vocabulary of these exercises to, quote, unquote, hit the back. Well, and I say, who 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 says you have to do bent over rows to hit the back? You know, right. yes, they, they certainly it's a good back exercise in some cases, but if for whatever reason a person can't perform that movement, why can't you identify what, if you're a good trainer, you should be able to identify what the problem is and address it. Not for the purpose of, of doing a bent of a row, but rather providing proper stimulation for the muscle or muscle group uh, that you're trying to stimulate. Mm-hmm. And that's where the, the inventiveness comes from. Um, there's a system that we use up here. Uh, you may be familiar. You're in, in Arizona, that's right. No, so not quite. I, I am. There, there's, um, we, use this, we, we use a system called uh, muscle activation techniques. Uh, by, developed by a gentleman named Greg, Greg Roscoff. And um, it's a series of muscle testing um, uh, protocols on a system that we use that helps identify imbalances, um, relative imbalances to, to uh, actual joint axial forces. So we're not looking for absolute strength and absolute imbalances. We're looking relative to each other. So it's really a cool technique. Um, and within minutes, you can completely transform uh, a trainee's uh, execution of an exercise or just overall well-being and strength by applying some really, really simple isometrics. And I'm, not ta- I'm talking minutes. And that's a really powerful tool as a trainer. If, if, I'm, if I'm a trainer trying to differentiate myself from all the other trainers on, my, uh, uh, on the gym floor or in my area or online or whatever, I want to be able to show my work. So if someone comes into yeah. me and they're, they can't perform a movement or they can't do an exercise or they miss a lift, as the case may be, if I can help them, or, or they, you know, the hammer throw again, they, they, they're, they're, there's a weakness there. If I can identify what that weakness is, where their imbalance is coming from, and address it right away yeah. at that moment, how awesome and how much is that, trainer, is that trainee going to love me? You know, yeah. and, how, and how successful am I going to be? So that's that's one of those things, and and I mean, like I, I coach um, I coach soccer teams. Um, my daughter's soccer team actually, and um, 
I, I'm, I, I take the, the treatment table, the plinth out there, I throw it on the, um, uh, on the field, and, and, and while we're running the practice, I have my assistant run the practice, I'll just be looking at the kids, and I'll call one over, I'll call a girl over, say, hey, come here, hop on the table, a couple of quick uh, isometrics, of minor palpation, bang, oh, I feel so much better, great, there she goes, and now where this girl couldn't, um, you know, uh, couldn't keep up with her uh, defender or, or, or her attacker, all of a sudden she's yep. blowing past her. You know, because you, you address that weakness. So she couldn't kick the ball, boom, all of a sudden she's kicking the ball. And that comes with having the right tools. So as a trainer, if I want to be successful, I need to educate myself and give myself a lot of different tools to get the job done yep. and not be dogmatic. That's the next point. Let's not be dogmatic and stick to only one method, which is, oh, that's a whole other headache. So. It's it's funny how people rely on dogma. It's it's interesting actually how some do and some don't. And it mm -hmm. strikes me as kind of a, I don't know. It's, uh, I, I think if you have a genuine passion for what you do, and if you're just kind of, I always tell people, you know, I, I'm I'm compelled to do what I do. I I couldn't not do it. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't know. It's just not possible for me. And I think if you are passionate about what you do you're not going to be confined by dogma because you're, you're going to automatically have that sort of questioning, exploratory um, kind of persona. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I just think, I think that comes naturally, whereas uh, if you're a trainer, not because you're compelled to do it, but because you'd rather just do that than, than work in a restaurant or whatever, mm -hmm. you're not going to have that kind of mindset at all. You're just going to try to find the easy way to get your job done. Um, and uh, I I think that's that's sad not only for that trainer's clients, but it's sad for that trainer also because you're you know well it, it's sad for our industry. Is it to, you know we all have to work for a living in theory. Absolutely. So, you know why not find what what you really uh, what you love what you're really here to do. You know. Well, well that that's I mean that brings up the, the, one of the final points that I was going to get out here, which is. Well, uh, it's a problem. That's why I asked that question at the beginning of, of potential trainers. What do you want to do? Because our, our industry is awash with people who really don't care and are here to do it. They're, they're, they want to work in this industry because it's fun. It's, it's, it's easy. It doesn't require a lot of work. You know, you can, you can make some good money, uh, certainly enough to get by until you do something else. And it's unfortunate because it dilutes, for those of us that, that are compelled, as you say, and, and who are really passionate, it dilutes our efforts and our expertise and our benefit, you know, to the point where I, I, I almost cringe when, whenever I introduce myself to someone and I get to know them or I meet them, you know, I say, oh, so what do you do? Oh, I'm in the fitness industry, I say. <laughs> oh, you're a trainer. And I, a little part of me inside dies with every time I say that because it's, well, uh, and then, you know, you know it's, how do you explain that? <laughs> yes, I'm a trainer. Oh, you know, my, my cousin's kid is a trainer. He just finished a, a, a weekend course. Like, yep. <laughs> yeah, yep, that's me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you appreciate that. And it's tough. So yeah. it kind of – okay, to kind of – It's kind of like motivational speaker. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Motivate. What the heck does that mean? And it's kind of the point where we've diluted this meaning of personal trainer or fitness professional to the point where it just doesn't – it has no value anymore. Yeah. You know, and so people say, well, that's because, well, I went to school and, and I, I have a degree. And, well, I, I often say I, I don't bother. Okay, like here's the last point. Like degrees, certifications, and other cryptic important-looking letters after a name. I don't list a single certification or accreditation after my name. Not one. Yeah. I have my name on my business card and my title. You know, yeah. uh, health center manager. That's it. Um, and I, I always say that. Well, well, why don't you? People say to me, why don't you list it? You know, why don't you list your your master's degree or your 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 you know your RTS, your MAT, your da 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 da? Like because it doesn't matter because it doesn't mean anything to the average person. And if they meet me, and if in five minutes of talking to me, if they feel that I'm not the person to help them with their particular issue, then move on. Move on. Yeah. You know, yeah. because really, if it, it's going to come out in the first five minutes whether I can help or not. Sure. You know, so in hiding behind a bunch of letters after a name because I did a course last week, oh, great, I can add another two or three letters after my name. What does that mean? Mm -hmm. Cert certification in no way guarantees qualification. No, no. You know, I, 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 I was, <laughs> I'm, I'm, working, I, I'm working on a, um, uh, on a, uh, a doctorate, and uh, right now one of my supervisors, in biomechanics, um, has, has has not set foot in a gym 
since completing her undergrad okay, and has nothing more than a passing interest in fitness. But here's a person who is working in a, in a university teaching prospective fitness people about fitness, about health, about biomechanics in this case. It drives me crazy. Um, she, for the example, that she, she described a, a leg extension the other day. This is a biomechanics professor described a leg extension as a knee press. We were doing uh, EMG studies. Goes, oh, we're going to we're going to look at uh, you know quadricep activation through uh, I will call it uh, sorry a knee press. She called it a knee press. Wow. And I said, excuse me, uh, what uh, what's a knee press? She goes, oh, you know we're we're going to be um, we're going to be uh, looking at separation of the lower le- lower leg to the from the femur. Oh, like a leg extension. She goes, well, yes. Oh, okay. I mean, not a big deal. No, but it's revealing. <laughs> Still, <laughs> you know, you'd think you'd at least have some of the terminology down. Sure. It just shows how what a passing interest this is. Um, and the issue is that they, they never critically re-examine currently held beliefs or, or, or testing them in the crucible of the gym environment. Sure. At the end of the day, we're learning ex- exercise because 99% of the people you're going to come across are doing side exercises in a gym setting. So why wouldn't we look at it in a gym setting? There's, there's like this, this disconnect between academia and what we do in, in the lab and the gym floor. Oh, somehow we in the, in the, ivory, the hallowed ivory halls of academia are much, you know, we're far too good to sully ourselves with working in a gym. Uh, yeah. Well, then what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What's you know, what are we really working at here? You know, oh, we're going to work with, with you know, as a neurophysiologist, going to go work with, uh, with Parkinson's patients. Okay, that's noble, but at the end of the day, you know, I'm still going to work in a gym. I'm still going to do work in a gym. Yeah, so, yeah. any event, uh, I just, cool. yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to, I was just going to remind uh, anyone joining us late that we're talking with uh, Mario Mavridis, and uh, the website is www. I'll spell it out: t e r s e c h i n i fitness. ca Just so that they know where to reach you. And uh, it may be obvious by now that we're not going to get to the topic of the day because uh, our existing conversation is very interesting, and uh, um, and we'll, we'll we'll kind of finish it out with that. But uh, uh, very cool information, and uh, it's funny how you know I'm very familiar with the fitness certification field, and I've worked in that segment of the industry, and uh, it's interesting as I kind of reflect back on the last 45 minutes of this discussion, how little of this is really taught in certifications. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. That, that's, that's, I mean, you just said a mouthful there. That's so true. Yeah. But, but is it, I guess the way I liken it is this. That, that, okay, one of, the, one of the most powerful, one of the things I look for when I look at a resume uh, that really catches my interest, uh, well, I, I mean, I look at the, um, uh, the NSCA, their, their CSCS certification. I think it's a good one. But another one that I really look for that to me kind of epitomizes what, not so much what they've learned, but what that they're willing to learn is the, and this is ironic based on what you talked about last week, the RTS certification. Not to be confused with um, the reactive training systems, but rather the resistance training specialist certification. That's out of Denver. And this one, it's not, uh, they're very clear about um, saying this is not a training certification. This is not going to teach you how to perform any movements at all. I mean, it's, it's a three-month-long course, and at no point do you examine how to perform a bench press or are you taught sorry, how to perform a squat. Rather, what's taught is the underlying principles and physics behind each movement so that you can kind of baseline create. You can create any movement understanding the baseline of physics. Uh, and uh, you, remember you, you said earlier about that coach uh, who's creating a movement for sure. the particular need. To me, that's a much more powerful tool than dogmatically dispensing movements. Sure. You know, so I, that's the kind of thing I look for and I, I really appreciate as a, as a fitness person, as a fitness professional, uh, because that's the kind of critical and analytical, analytical thinking I, I think is, is missing in this industry. Uh, you know, let's let's not be dogmatic. Let's not be let's let's not be prescriptive. Let's let's identify what's required and build it from there. Yep, yep, yeah. yep. So that's how I look at it. And 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 unfortunately, um, you know, it's it, look, it's really tough being a consumer right now, looking for health help in in the fitness industry, health and fitness industry is really difficult. Yeah, yeah. You've got so many different um, people telling you so many different things. How do you decide? 
Yeah. And I mean, I, I hope, and like I said, the biggest challenge is simply having certifications or letters or even, like I said, PhD after your name doesn't guarantee good service, no. you know, because it, it really doesn't. It's not to say that, that you know, highly trained or highly educated individuals are, are useless when it comes to working in a gym, not at all. Sure. But, but certainly I have found that some of the most inflexible thinkers and dogmatic thinkers are these people. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, is that that's a real challenge. That's, that's, I mean, as a student myself, and, 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 and uh, I would suggest I'm, I'm, I'm a lifetime student. I would never claim I've, I've, I've learned what I need to learn. It, it's kind of scary to have to go through that. And, 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 you know, who do you trust? Yeah. Well, so I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll give my summary here, and then I'll let you kind of have the last word before sure. we finish up. But I, I think my suggestion would be that if, you know, if you're a consumer uh, looking for a personal trainer or a coach, you know, you just have to go through the learning curve. There is no easy, guaranteed way of finding uh, somebody who's competent. And as a matter of fact, you may have one or two or three false starts uh, before you find somebody you're happy with, much as the same thing will happen if you're looking for a doctor mm-hmm. or a massage therapist or a martial arts instructor or anything else. And I think it's just no different. You have to educate yourself. You have to go through the learning curve. And I think you want to look at references. I think you want to look at uh, letters after the name. I think you want to pay attention to your gut instinct. Um, You know, you've got to just kind of uh, synthesize all of those inputs and, uh, and, and go from there. But, Mario, I think you've provided a lot of good information in terms of getting people on the right path and, uh, um, Looking, you know, hoping that well, hoping I can bring you on uh, maybe a, a third time, and we'll get to the topic of the day, which also involves, uh, uh, well, it's a topic that's of interest to trainers per se, but but uh, very interesting stuff, and I really appreciate you being on today. Oh, I absolutely love it. I love the opportunity to talk about this. I, I think it's a great forum uh, to get some ideas out there because I think that there's a lot of. Um, uh, f- from both sides of the field, from both from a consumer and from a, uh, a, a training, a trainer, uh, and fitness professional uh, arena, it's a lot of misconceptions, a lot of confusion. And if we can all start to learn to speak in a unified voice, I think that we're going to clear up a lot of this confusion. And when I say unified voice, I'm not talking, you know, one particular system, but rather that we agree that there's different systems, and at least we can help uh, help kind of project that thought onto our consumer base, I think we'll all be more successful. And really, that's that's what it's about. You know, we're in the business to help people, to make some money, and to everybody kind of be healthy at the same time. And if we can just get it together, <laughs> that'd be fantastic. <laughs> but I do what? thank you. Uh, our, our fellow colleagues will be having conversations just like this 100 years from now. So I hope sure so. It'll never, be, it'll never be solved, but what you have to do is kind of enjoy the journey. So with that, Mario, thank you very much, and we'll be in touch soon. My absolute pleasure. Thank you very, very much, Cheryl. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy. We'll catch you again next week. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye.